Well, good morning. Hello there. Good morning. Come on in. Grab a seat. Uh, my name is Jeff Watts. I'm the student minister here. And uh, we've had our Disciple Now weekend this year. We're finishing it up today with you guys. So uh, thank you for being here. Uh, Corey and Casey Jumper were generous with their time and led worship for us all weekend. And um, Jacob and Mariah Buss were generous with their time and, and taught us this weekend. And so you're going to hear uh, from them again today. It's been a, uh, a great weekend with our students, and you should ask them about it if they're wearing a shirt that looks like this. Um, they'll have something to tell you, I bet. So um, go ahead and stand with us this morning. I'll pray for us. Um, I want to say, though, events like this, they can happen without the help of the church, um, but they're not nearly as special. And so um, there's a lot of y'all that helped provide food this weekend, that um, opened your homes, that served food, that just made it happen. And so... Uh, Thank you for being a church that helps us invest in our students, and that matters a lot. Good morning, everyone. I just want everyone to hear my beautiful voice this morning. All right. We tried it twice. Don't let me down. Legacy Weekend, how are we doing? All right. Little week. Um, For those that don't know, like Jeff said, we are wrapping up D Now 2024. Um, I just want to say, if you helped in any way, uh, you opened up your home, you cooked, you decided not to get any sleep because you were a leader um, serving worship. Can you please stand? And can we all as a church thank these people? Yep, stand up if you helped. It's okay. I have to say, now I get to do a, something else. Jeff, Watts, and Hannah are a phenomenal group of people, a team of people. Uh, Seeing Jeff's heart and everything that he did for this weekend and made it work um, and just poured his heart and soul out to these kids, it was awesome to see. Y'all may not know it. If you don't, y'all are infinitely blessed by the ministry that Jeff is doing with your students. Um, And it should be felt. Obviously, there's a group of kids all wearing the same gray shirt. They're all here. Hopefully, most of you have showered. Um, If not, um, hopefully Axe Body Spray can cover um, as much as Jesus can cover our sins. But uh, like I said... I had the distinct honor to get to teach the youth um, three times over the weekend and then this morning, and I'm just going to try and bring you up to speed the best I can um, before we start today. So we looked at three different things, mostly focusing on legacy. And every single person in this room has a spiritual legacy. The things that you are doing, growing in your relationship with Christ, how you minister to those around you, how you live your life each and every single day, or You may be someone in this room that goes, I have not decided to follow Christ. You're still leaving a spiritual legacy behind, but it's not one that you may want to do. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But Friday night, we talked about just the greatest story ever of Jesus coming and dying on the cross, doing something abnormal for us that we would never be able to accomplish. Yesterday morning, we took some time to reflect in prayer and solitude as we looked over some of the Psalms that David wrote about. And then last night, which I would like to say, for the record— I thought about teaching David before Ridge did, um, so my, uh, my check will be in the mail, hopefully, um, for you stealing all of my good ideas as we talked about David, specifically looking at Bathsheba, um, that when David was almost at a mountaintop experience, he fell flat on his face um, in adultery, had somebody killed, and what does it look like to be open and honest with confession and repenting sin? Um, and this morning, we're going to focus on two different stories and two different ways that we can carry on our legacy moving forward. The first is going to be, we need to remember who God is, and we'll be specifically looking at uh, the story of the burning bush in Exodus. 
And then we'll move on to passing the baton of the Christian faith as we take a look um, more specifically um, in Abraham and Isaac. But church, as we think about remembering who God is, how often do we put God in a box? That we try to make him something that we can control, maybe something we're more comfortable with, something that's more manageable, something that, God, I'm going to pull you out like a genie in a bottle, rub you a couple of times, get the wishes that I want, but then I'm going to shove you back in the closet as I live my life each and every single day. We want things about God, but maybe sometimes we don't want the fullness of God because sometimes following God fully can be scary or it doesn't go the way that we want. Maybe perhaps we're not a fan that Jesus or God is all-knowing because we think in our mind that we know the best situation in our lives. We think that I know what's right. God just needs to get on board with, with me. Or maybe we think... We have problems with the fact that God's all-powerful. Once again, playing that idea of, I want to do it now, my way. God, you better get on board or you better get out of my way. Or perhaps you struggle with the idea that God is all-loving. And you look out into the world and go, do these people really deserve the love of God? We live in a, a world, in a country, a society, a state that seems to drift farther and farther away from God. And we think to ourselves sometimes, how can these people deserve the same grace that I got? Because we think we're so great and powerful. But church, God is who he is. He is the same I am as he was 2,000 years ago, 1,000 years ago. He's the same God today as he was back then. There is nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that God doesn't know and he's not controlling. And we have to remember this. We have to remember to strive to continually align ourselves with who God is. Because the moral of the story is if we forget who God is, then what's the point? Because as we live life, if it was left up to us, Um, this world would be a lot different. Probably a lot more Axe body spray um, in the middle school boys' locker room than probably should be. And as we strive to continue our legacy of faith, we need to remember who God is every hour, every moment, every second, and every day. So we're going to be in Exodus 3, 13 through 15. Just a couple verses. A little bit of backstory. So we're focusing on Moses here. Um, If you don't know, Moses was an Israelite boy, um, comes out of the story of Exodus, living in Egypt. The Pharaoh decides that the Jews are getting too powerful and strong, and so he decides that he's going to kill every two-year-old boy and younger. Moses gets saved from his mother by pushing him down um, the river in a basket of reeds. Moses goes on to live with Pharaoh um, for a period of time, grows up under the Pharaoh's eye. At one point, Pharaoh's walking around and sees an Egyptian taskmaster bullying some um, Israelites. He stops, he intervenes, he kills the guard, and he panics. So he decides to run away and goes into the wilderness and lives in the wilderness for about 40 years. He's a shepherd out in Midian. Um, He's still within the Egyptian empire, but hopefully what he thinks is he's far enough away from Pharaoh that Pharaoh won't be able to find him. And that's where we find the story of Exodus 3, verses 13 through 15. So this is a little bit more. Jesus, or Moses has been walking the wilderness and he's come across the burning bush. Verse 13. Then Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is your name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, 
this is how I am to be remembered in every generation. Let's pray real quick. God, we just thank you for the blessing of getting to come together and close out a fantastic legacy weekend. We thank you for just the power of your word and your blood that makes it all possible. God, I pray as we dive into your word a little bit tonight that we remember who you are, that we don't try to set up parameters on who you are for us, but that we take all of our cues and promptings from you. God, I thank you for this incredible honor. Let my words be your words and anything that is not from you be quickly forgotten. It's your great and heavenly name we pray. Amen. Right. Three interesting things that he brings up. He brings up that he is the God of Abraham, he's the God of Isaac, and he's the God of Jacob. And Moses, hopefully, as his Old Testament scholar, would have remembered what he's talking about. And if you don't know, I'm going to read three chunks of verses and we're going to talk about it. So first one's the Abrahamic covenant. So this is when God talks to Abraham. This is Genesis 12, 1 through 3. The Lord said to Abram, this is before he fully got called, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So there's Abraham. Remember, I am the God that called Abram, Abraham out. I provided for him. I will make him a great nation. And it continues with Isaac in Genesis 26, verses 35, or 23 through 25. Sorry. So this is Isaac. From there, Isaac went up to Beersheba. That night, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant, Abraham. And then one more, talking about Jacob. This is Genesis 28, 13 through 17. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All people on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm going to end it there in verse 15. We need to remember the promises that God has told us. Because far too often we let worry and anxiety and doubt and whatever other circumstances in our life blot out what God has done throughout the entire Old Testament. I remember talking to Mariah when I was getting ready for Legacy Weekend. And she's like, well, what story are you teaching? What are, where are you going in the Bible? And I was like, well, we're starting in 2 Kings. And then we're going to talk about David for two days. And then I'm going to talk about the burning bush. And then I'm going to talk about Isaac and Abraham on Mount Moriah. And Mariah goes, that's a lot of Old Testament. And some people go, I have never, I probably, how many of you students had even heard of Second Kings before we went there Monday night? A couple of y'all? Okay. How many of you was that the first time you've ever even opened that book? Don't worry, I'm not judging. Maybe a little bit. All right. There's some liars over there. We'll talk about it later. 80% of the scriptures that you hold right here is Old Testament. And far too often, our world decides and thinks that the Old Testament is irrelevant that it's an angry God, it's a vindictive God, it's a God that only cares about blood and murder and sacrifice and all this stuff. If you throw the baby out with the bathwater, you miss where God is heading for over thousands of years of history. And I will say this, I did not purposely choose Old Testament, but that's where the Lord led me. And if we forget all of the rich history and stories that come from our faith from the Old Testament, we are missing and remembering a vital key of what God has written down for us to remember. And I also think about in Matthew 28, 
verses 18 through 20 of God always being with us. This is right at the end when Jesus is about to send into heaven. This is like his final parting words before he leaves. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded to you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Against my better judgment, I'm going to share a story that I shared with the youth Friday night. I would like to apologize in advance. It's a little interesting, but I think it has very good relevance for us remembering who God is. So, a couple years ago, me and Mariah were not engaged yet. We had just been dating almost pretty much two years. We were celebrating our two-year dating anniversary. And Mariah and I decided we we're going to go to a Stars game, and, um, which is hockey. Any hockey fans out there? A couple. I know, okay, it's not the Cowboys. I'm sorry. You didn't even make it to the playoffs. Oh, you made it, but you lost pretty badly. Sorry. Not sorry. So we go to a hockey game. We link up with a buddy of mine, his wife, and their five-year-old son. And uh, we go to the Stars game. And uh, before we go, Mariah wanted to impress me with cooking. And so she decided to make a big bowl of chili, um, which was delicious. I have never probably eaten more chili in my entire life. Um, but we eat the game. We eat there, so we have to spend money at the game. We go to the game. If you don't know how hockey works, they play over three periods. So they play 20 minutes. They take like a 15-minute break, 20 minutes, 15-minute break, and then the game's over. And second period starts rolling around, and I notice something's going on with my stomach. I don't know what it is. I'm going to be honest, the chili was the only thing I ate that day, so maybe I'm like, okay, maybe I need to have something in my stomach. My stomach's a little upset. So I quickly go, I grab a Dr. Pepper, come back up, start drinking it, coating whatever's in my stomach to calm it down. Golden. End of the third period, I'm like, all right, we got to get up, we got to leave. Stand up. Huh. Something ain't right here. Something's going on with my stomach. And I have the moment of going, okay, do I use the bathroom to figure out what's going on now, or do I just kind of wait and see what's going on? And I decide, unfortunately, um, that I'm going to wait. So third floor of American Airlines Center, we get all the way down to the bottom. We walk out the doors, which if you've never been in Dallas, American Airlines Center, there is nothing around for blocks. There's no bathroom. There's no gas station. There's no, like, portageons. There is nothing. And when you walk outside the American Airlines Center, there is no reentry. Walk out the doors. Doors close. Something hits. Cold sweats, start feeling nauseous. I have no idea what's about to happen. And it's after a hockey game, downtown Dallas, probably 14,000 people are all around me. And we start walking, Mariah looks at me. I've taken my jacket off. I'm like profusely sweating, um, trying not to have what's about to happen happen. And she goes, are you okay? And I go, I think I'm about to throw up. And she's like, do we need to like try and go back inside? I'm like, no, let's just get to the car. It's only a couple, couple blocks away. We'll make it, we'll make it. We'll make it. We start going. Around a corner, I dry heave real loud. And I'm like, all right, here it comes. And so I get off the main walkway behind a wall in a pillar. Um, and as I described it to the youth, um, that wall and that concrete was my um, canvas. And the projectile vomit that came out of me was my paint. And for about 15 minutes, I was making a beautiful masterpiece all over that wall. And as, as many of you know, if you're very sick, you feel somewhat strong, and you're like, yeah, I'm confident. But by like 15 minutes in, you're down here, contemplating every life decision you've ever made. 
I'm, I'm covered, the wall's covered, I don't know what's going on around me. And then a new sensation creeps up. Both ends. For about 15 minutes, coming out one, coming out the other, coming one, coming out the other. And some of you are like, why did Ridge let this man speak? And I'm like, well, hey, guess what? It's the last time. If you got problems, we can talk about it after. But after 15 minutes, have exhausted everything, um, just the disgusting person I was, um, I'm down there, crouched over, um, thinking to myself, what am I going to do? I'm four blocks away from the car. I am disgusting. I'm filthy. Um, And I turn and look. And in between the wall and the pillar is my girlfriend. I had not put the ring on her finger yet, which maybe would have been better at that point. It's standing Mariah, horribly, like, mortified looking at me. But she goes, what do you need? That's when I then told her that I had um, filled my pants. Um, (laughs) But she then goes, okay, what do you need? And that's Jesus for each and every single one of us. That in the moment of us being so covered and gross in our sin, sitting there squatting in the filth, that we can turn and look and Jesus is right there going, hey, how can we clean you up? Let's get you up. And he picks you up. He doesn't care how gross and nasty and smelly you are. He picks you up, he washes you off and cleans you up. And that's the God that we need to remember. It's not the God that we have to figure out where the garden hose is and clean off and burn the clothes that we have on before we can go to him. God comes to us in our moment. Scripture talks about that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 10, 28 through 29 says this, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. No amount of your own personal doing, the devil himself, no amount of sin that you think you're controlled by is too powerful for God to conquer and clean up over you. That the same I am of Exodus is the same I am in 2024. It'll be the same I am over the election that's coming up. It'll be the same I am over house expenses, over a divorce, over a child dying. It doesn't matter what's going to happen. God is always there and he always will be there. And remembering that is key. Because if we forget who God is, we don't have any ground to build our foundation on. And another story, I promise it's not gross. So for those of you that don't know, me and Mariah will be moving to Pueblo, Colorado in like literally three weeks. The movers are coming on March 4th. Um, But in that time, we've had to put our house on the market. And for those that don't know, housing market is terrible right now. And we knew God called us to Pueblo, but we weren't seeing any traction on the house. We had to lower the price, which was scary because we'd already kind of listed it out where we needed to break even. And so we kind of already accepted the fact of we're going to have to pay some amount of money. Hopefully we don't go into severe, severe debt. And didn't have traction for a couple weeks, lowered the price. People started viewing the house. And the entire time this has been going on, the story of the Israelites in the wilderness has kind of always been on my background. That the Israelites are wandering the wilderness for 40 years and God is providing manna to them each and every single day. And they're providing manna for that day. That it wasn't, hey, get as much as you can to prepare for the future. God even said that if you take too much, it'll spoil. That God was providing exactly what they needed at the exact same moment that they needed it. And so yesterday, in between sessions in D-Now, me and Mariah are working on some stuff, and we get a call from our realtor, which is like, okay, this is a good sign. And she goes, hey, the people that viewed your house yesterday want to put an offer on the house. And after a lot of realtor mumbo-jumbo that I don't fully understand, um, and all of the thing, I was like, how much are we going to owe? That's the question I want to know. Do I need to know if I need to cry or rob a bank? How much are we going to owe? 
And our realtor goes, well, your estimated out-of-pocket cost is $4,200, give or take. And Mariah looks at me and goes, that is almost to the T the amount of money we are getting back in our tax return this year. And I'm not saying that to be like, whoa, look at how much money Jacob's getting because it's not a lot. I don't make anything. The army didn't pay a lot. But God knew what he was doing before I even knew it. God provided a month ago the amount that we were going to get that we needed the exact moment when the house got offered for the exact right purpose. I don't know where y'all are today. I don't know a lot of you in here. I know faces. But God will always provide what we need when we need it. And it's important to know that it may not look like the way that it needs to look. Because the world will look at it and go, well, if God's so great, why didn't he make someone buy your house for $50,000 more you can put it in your pocket? Because then at that moment, it's not on God, it's on what I did or what the money is. But the fact that God provided is a testimony to me being able to then remember who God is in the hard times. I'll leave it there. So first thing, remembering who God is is important to continue our legacy. The second is passing the baton on of the Christian faith. So we're going to look at another story. This is Abraham and Isaac um, going up to sacrifice Isaac. This is in Genesis 22, verses 6 through 8. And so those that don't know the story, Abraham is well in his years. He's very well seasoned. Um, he's probably, well, I think, 80, 90, somewhere in there. And he has his son that God has finally blessed him, someone that he prayed over for and wanted for years and years and years, and he finally got. And one morning, God tells him, you are to take your son, you're going to go to Mount Moriah, and you're going to offer him as a burnt sacrifice to me. And what Abraham does is he wakes up, he grabs Isaac, he grabs his three servants and goes, okay, Lord, I trust you and I know what you're doing. And he decides to head to Mount Moriah. He doesn't wait, he doesn't daddle. That's a different sermon for a different day. But kind of think that in the back of your mind that sometimes when God asks you to do things, are you as quick as Abraham was to go sacrifice his own son? But after three days of travel with Abraham, Isaac, and three of their servants, Abraham turns Tells us three servants, hey, you wait here. Me and the boy are going to go to the mountain. We're going to do what needs to be done, and then we'll come back. And this is what it says in Genesis 22, verses 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the knife, and the two of them walked on together. Then Isaac, his son, spoke to his father Abraham and said, my father. And Abraham replied, here I am, my son. Listen to this. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. What's interesting here is that Isaac knows what's going on. This is not his first sacrifice. This is not his first rodeo. This is not the first time that he's worked with dad on a spiritual thing. He goes, hey, dad, something's not right here. We've got the wood, we've got the knife, but I don't see the thing that we're supposed to kill and offer up to God. Abraham didn't have to explain this to him. Isaac already knew what was supposed to happen. He was taught from his parents on what it meant to worship God. It didn't take Isaac having Google and going on and saying, how do I do a proper sacrifice? Or maybe it wasn't the fact that Isaac was raised in the Bible belt and he just knows what it means to be Christian and he doesn't have to put any work and try and figure out what it is. But what happened is Abraham took his responsibility as the father figure in Isaac's life and taught him how to worship God. Church, we live in a world where the younger and younger generation are not coming into the four walls of this church. That what a better fitting 
that this is a proof and testament for a lot of work in here, and I agree with that. But how many more kids are not sitting over here compared to how big Temple is? That our legacy, one, does start with Jesus, and we need to remember who God is, but our legacy dies when we as parents, church, grandparents, volunteers, servants, people sitting in pews, sit and decide that it's not my job to continue on what God has told me to do. That Abraham saw it as a very real thing and it's evident in Isaac's life. We see another example in 2 Timothy 1 verse 5 that Paul is exhorting his little spiritual protege and it says, I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and now I am convinced it is in you also. Now this is also the encouragement that men, if you've fallen flat on your face and you haven't done this, women... You don't get a free pass. That it's also on you to see the spiritual discipline of your children grow. Grandparents, you do not get to retire from being a grandparent. You should also be showing the lineage that you have grown and fallen or followed Christ through all these years. And even if you're like, Jacob, I'm like a one-month-year-old believer. You have a one-month of being saved from the literal pits of hell, and that is a story that you need to tell. Now hear me on this too, that I've already talked about how great Jeff is. If you don't know Casey, she's a phenomenal. Skylar, phenomenal. The three people you have working with kids from birth all the way through seniors in high school are some of the best people I've ever had the privilege to work alongside with. And I've been doing ministry like 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So I am not saying to pull your kids out of youth group or children's group or preschool. What I am saying is they can only do as much as you're willing to put in. Because they only have your kids, what, maybe two hours a week? And if you're not willing to put the legwork in and help alongside them and serve with them, there's only so much that they can do. And I'm saying that as someone that is about to go to Pueblo, Colorado and be a family pastor that is doing all of those things and more. But parents, we have to realize that the reason the church is dying and young people aren't being reached is because we are not taking the time and the effort to reach our own kids in our house. As the band comes up, I'm going to close. I want to say a couple of things. One, for those in this room that don't have kids or whatever, you don't even have a faith and relationship with Christ, today is not too late. You are not too far gone. You are not too sinful. You are not too broken to be someone that Christ can use for the betterment of the kingdom. And perhaps in here you go, hey, I'm a parent, I'm a grandparent, I'm a spouse, I'm a significant other that has fallen flat on my face, I'm too far gone. It is not too late to pick yourself up with Christ and start. There is no better day than, what is it, February 18th, than to start your legacy or to continue your legacy or to pick yourself up and move forward. I'm going to be right up here after I get done talking. Um, If you want to hit me or tell me how gross I am, that's fair. But if you want to have a conversation, I'm right up here. Come talk to me. Or maybe you just need to use the altars and pray and be honest and open with God and say, hey, listen, I have failed horribly. I have messed up. I just need the love of God. These altars are here for it. We're going to do something a little different. And I'm okay doing this because, honestly, um, if you don't like it, um, I'm leaving soon. I can just run away. I'm also coming off a marriage retreat, so I'm a little hot on this as well. I'm going to ask 
If every man would stand up right now. If you're a man in this church, stand up. If you're a student and you're a man, stand up. If you are a boy sitting in these pews, stand up. Now, if you've got a significant other, a spouse, kids around you, grab their hand, bring them in close. Let's let today be the day that Memorial stops waiting for someone else to disciple. Let today be the day that all the men in this room and all the women that are supporting and all the children that are here to see present see men and women and children on fire for Christ in a way that they've never seen before. And some of you that are like the little kids that are like, why is this man making me stand up? I promise. What I'm about to do is not scary. I'm just going to read some scripture over, and I want every single man and every single woman, because just like Timothy's parents, his mother and grandmother, they took the spiritual discipleship at the heart. And men, if your wife is not supporting you, good luck, brother. It's just like me and Mariah fighting on the way to church this morning. Kidding. Mariah is the one that's my biggest ally and my greatest supporter. This is a team effort. It's families coming together. It's children coming underneath discipleship. It's everything being submitted under Christ. If you miss Christ, you miss everything else. And so I'm going to read Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, Old Testament, yet again, I know. This is called the Shema. This is the verses that me and Mariah chose to read over Ezra at our baby dedication. So it's got a little bit of a heartfelt mind. But this was something that was read and taught to men. And so if you're a man, everyone eyes closed, every head bowed, do the whole churchy thing. So as I read over these words, the men in this church, the women in this church, think through these words. The decision is now. I'm putting it on you. There's no passivity in Christ. You choose to follow now or you choose not to follow. That's on you. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where you're at. If you're not a spouse, you're a fiance, you're seriously dating, make these words and commitments that you will the one day that you're married, you will take your spiritual leadership to heart. For the boys, for the middle school, the high school, the children in this room, think through these words. Don't wait. Start practicing now what it may look like to be a spiritual leader in your own household. Because in biblical times, if you were 12 years old, you were a man. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to pray. The band's going to take over after me. I'll be up here if you have any questions. Please come. So Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 9. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. God, that's our prayer today. That we will love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with everything that we are. That as we close Legacy Weekend, that this doesn't end our legacy. This is simply the launching point. That God, there are plenty of people in here that I know are on fire for you, but there can be so much more that we can do. God, I pray that you embolden all the men in this room, that some of them have been knocking out of the park, maybe some of them have been struggling for whatever reason. That we can cast all our fears and burdens aside, turn to you and know that you will swoop us up and love us. God, I pray that we repeat the things we learn in church at home. That they don't just end when service ends, but that this is the starting point of the week, not the ending point. God, I pray for those in this room that don't yet know you. 
that hopefully something in their heart draws to you today, Lord, that today can be the start of their legacy, that for whatever reason you gave me food poisoning five years ago to have a funny story about me absolutely disgusting myself is some way in shape, sense, form, some way for someone to understand the gospel. God, I pray that they are emboldened to have that conversation today. God, it's in your heavenly name I pray. Amen. One last thing. Church should not be the only time that the church meets. That while this is a good thing, it's a God-honoring thing, there are plenty of opportunities for you to be the church each and every single day. That's going to look differently for everybody. Shameless plug, men, next weekend is If Women's Conference and your wife can't go because they have to watch the, watch the kids, watch the kids. Let your wife go to If and fellowship with women around. Perhaps you haven't started serving yet. Y'all, the Savior of the earth humbled himself to the point of death on a cross and his biggest, one of his biggest messages was service. If you were not serving, that should give you pause. And let today be the day that you start your legacy within your own household. And if you have questions, I have named off three great people in this church that would love to teach you and how to partner with you in discipling your families. Jeff, Casey, Skyler would love to walk alongside you and go, this is how you talk to the gospel with a three-year-old. This is how you talk to a gospel to a 12-year-old. And one of the best things of advice I got as I picked brains of all your staff members before I left, because steal good ideas, it's way too easy. Casey told me her dream is that her job is not necessary that your children's pastor has the desire that she is no longer needed to disciple kids because parents are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Now, don't fire her because I said that because that'd be really awkward and I feel like Casey would be mad at me. But that shows a heart to show exactly where discipleship needs to be. All right, I'll quit talking. Y'all stand and worship with us.